The scripture for this morning is out of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we're in Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at a phrase in Colossians chapter 3. But as introductory, the last 25 years of my life, I've been doing something that maybe some of you know, but maybe some of you don't know. When I was a sophomore in college, I started refereeing. My first game I ever refereed was a high school soccer game. And you do all the stuff to prepare, and, and I refereed a high school soccer game. I'm sure it was not the best referees that those high school kids had ever seen. My first basketball refereeing was a middle school basketball game, and I was asked to ref a middle school basketball tournament. And uh, it was my first introduction to how intense uh, the fans can be when you're on the court. I was one of those people in the stands before that. And now I'm on the other side of it. And I've refereed uh, age three years old all the way up to 90-year-olds. I've refereed basketball, volleyball, soccer, football, uh, baseball, softball in those 25 years. There's different parts about it that I love. Youth sports, I love that they'll do anything the official tells them. You can make up stuff, and little kids like, that sounds right. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, there's a part of youth sports that isn't as fun, and that parents thinks they know everything, and they're willing to share that with you as a referee <laughs> to be helpful. I love high school sports. I love the intensity of the coaches, the fans, the players, and there is something about a high school basketball game in a full stadium that to, that refer, to referee is really, really exciting. <clears throat> I don't like the fact that some of these parents and children think that that game is deciding the rest of their career. Um, it's just one game, and some of them forget that. I've refereed senior softball for five years in the state of Colorado. I refereed the C Colorado Senior Softball Association. There is two leagues. There's a 50 in over league, and there's a 70 in over league. <clears throat> the 70 in over league is so fascinating to referee. They are good athletes. And 
it's guys and women that you have to be at least 70, and they love to play, they love to get out there, and they're just as intense as they were when they were 17. I remember I was refereeing, this is a couple years ago here in Erie, and I was refereeing, and I made a call that is not something often used in softball. So it's maybe a call you make once a year. So I made the call. You know, you're pretty confident because you know the rules and you make the call. The catcher turns around and says, I've been playing for 60 years. Okay, I'm not 60 yet, just so you know. And he says, I'm pretty sure that's not the rule. And I said, well, it is today. (laughs) And that's what we're going to go with. And... I think his response was like, oh, okay. And so we kept playing. I had that same team a couple weeks later, and he came up to me, the catcher, said, so I noticed we're playing with ASA softball rules and senior softball. I said, that's right. He's like, the league that I normally play in doesn't play with ASA softball rules. So the call you did make was right. But in our league, it's, we call it different. And I'm like, okay. That sounds good to me. It's not very often that someone comes back and shares, I think you might have got that right. (laughs) 25 years of doing that, and I've loved it. Last year was definitely different. I do Chassa basketball, and if you've been to high school basketball, you know some games can be just boring and some games can be really intense. Last year, I refereed an entire season, And I don't referee a lot, maybe 10 games during the year. No fans. And we all had to wear masks, players. I mean, like, do you know what it's like to referee with no fans? Uh, First of all, you would think that there would be no, like, yelling at the referee. Well, there still is coaches and players. And just a word of advice, if you work the scores table ever and there's no fans, we can hear you a lot better than you thought we could. (laughs) It was a different season, but I missed it. I missed the fans. I missed the intense competition. Here's the thing about umpiring or refereeing. He or she is the final ruling. The judgment call is final. And during that match, whatever the referee or the umpire says is how it goes. In Colossians 3.15, Paul is going to use a Greek word which is translated here, rule. And this is our key verse today. In verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. This Greek word, rule, here is only used once in the entire New Testament, and it's right here. As a matter of fact... Arco, which is usually the Greek word used for rule, occurs 80 times in the New Testament, and this is only one. It's a word that comes from athletics. It's the same word we use to describe the rule of an umpire or an official. We are called to let the peace of Christ have the final ruling or say. The peace is to be the final arbiter, and the highest authority. And it's reasonable to assume here that Paul is using this specific word for a reason. 
bringing in the concept of athletics. As you know, in the Greco-Roman world, athletics was very common. And Paul, many times in the New Testament, uses athletic terms to explain what he's talking about. And they were well understand. So when he uses this word, they would well understand what he's talking about, that it should be an umpire in your life. Some other translations say it like this, let the peace of Christ act like an umpire in your hearts. One translation says, let the ruling principle in your hearts be Christ's peace. Another translation says, let Christ's peace be the arbiter in your hearts. So if you think of life as a athletic competition, there's highs and lows, there's a lot of ups and downs, there's hard decisions, there's trouble, there's celebration, there's victory, there's defeats. What is going to be the arbiter of your hearts that will give you peace through all of this? And that is the point of Colossians 3.15. When I was reviewing my notes here, and I said that's the point of Colossians 3.15, and I was only five minutes into the sermon, I thought to myself, does that mean I can wrap up the message if I already told you what the point is? Well, stick with me because there's some really good stuff in here that helps support what the main point is, that believers are to let the peace of Christ act as an umpire in their hearts. And as we make decisions, that peace is going to navigate us through decisions. So today I'd like to look at the peace of Christ, and I've titled the message, Genuine Peace. And I'd like to look at it in three ways. What is the peace of Christ? Because if we're going to let that navigate our hearts, what is it? How do we maintain the peace of Christ? And he gives us a few in here of how we would do that. And then the third, why maintain the peace of Christ? So what, how, and why? So first, what is the peace of Christ? In Matt's message last week, he did this, and I really liked it because it applied to today. When we talk about what something is, we need to think about commonly how it's understood and maybe help explain what it's not. So maybe let's just cover a couple things when we say the peace of Christ and peace. What is it not? First of all, letting peace rule does not mean passivity. I read it put this way, and listen to this quote. It's so good. It is the act of interpreting injustice without mirroring injustice. The act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer. The act of finding a third way that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and peace. So it doesn't mean passivity. It doesn't mean minimizing or overlooking sin. The call to peace is not a call to ignore the things that are wrong in your life or the things that are wrong in the world. In fact, our peace will be disrupted if we do not check sin in our lives or in the world. Listen to Galatians 6, 1 and 2. He says it this way, Brothers, if any is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Third, I would say letting peace 
rule does not mean avoiding hard issues or conversations. When you let peace rule, we do not, what we're not saying is we don't deal with hard issues and we're not willing to have conversations that need to be had. And the last one I would say, and Paul addresses this, letting peace rule does not trump love. He says above in verse 14, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. As we strive to let peace rule in our hearts, as we strive to stand for what is right or truth, it's all saturated in love. So what is it? What is the peace of Christ? And in the scriptures, we see several different types of peace of God that is offered to us. And let me just give you the most common three that are used in the scripture. The first one is Godward peace, peace with God through Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, we are born as enemies of God, and we need reconciliation and restoration through faith in Jesus Christ and through his work on the cross, we can have peace with God. This is exactly what Paul is saying in Romans when he says, therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's Godward peace. There's also an inner peace that the scripture speaks about, the peace of your soul. And this is also something that comes through trusting in God. This kind of peace is a confidence and a trust that God is good and God is in control. And then the third kind of peace that's often used in Scripture and is used in this passage is communal peace. Peace with the people of God through Jesus Christ. When we trust in God, we are reconciled to God, but we're brought into reconciliation with one another. And so in verse 15, at the end part of our key verse this morning, it says, let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called, in one body. This is the kind of peace that brings unity amongst believers. You know, the one common thing about all of these peace that are mentioned in the scripture is Jesus Christ brings them to us. The peace of Christ to which you were called. It's not a natural thing. It is not something you can do on your own and is not the same peace that is offered by the world. As a matter of fact, in verse 14, it says it's based on love. So God loved you and offered you this peace. Love is why you strive for peace with those around you. So it comes from God. It's something that lives inside of us and it is something that flows out of us. So that is how I would say the peace of Christ is often described in the Bible. So how do you maintain the peace of Christ? So the second thing I want to look at is if this is something that we're called to, something offered to us, how do we maintain that as we walk through? We know we are not perfect. We know we will fall. So in this passage, Paul gives us a few examples of how to maintain the peace of Christ. I just want to give you three that will help you understand Paul's heart for how you maintain peace. The first one he gives is reconciliation. He uses the phrase, to which you were called, because you cannot maintain something that you did not have in the first place. So first of all, this genuine peace 
comes from reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. A real peace, a lasting peace, is only found in the one who can meet the hearts and your need. I think about it as an illustration. We have many people in our congregation that have been impacted by cancer, whether that is personally they have, whether that is family members that have gone through it or friends. We have many people, probably our entire congregation, that is touched by that. And I was thinking about this idea of reconciliation with God in reference to that. Can you think about if you went to the doctor and he said, I have two options for you to treat your cancer. And the first option I have for you is a medicine that you can take that would take all the symptoms of cancer away. You would feel as if you don't have cancer anymore. And many times, that is something that's offered with cancer treatment. The cancer would still be there, but you would not feel like the cancer is there. And then what if the doctor said, the second option we have is we have a procedure that is safe, and it's usually very successful. And if we did this procedure, it would take 100% of your cancer away you would be, at the end of this procedure, cancer-free. If you had those two options, I'm sure it's something that is not an easy decision that you would um, go through. But when you know the effects of cancer inside of you, cancer-free is usually the option that people choose. And when you, you think about the symptoms of what we go through, usually the path that we choose is to be symptom-free because that's what we feel. But symptom-free, knowing that something is still eating at your body inside and is going to have a destructive force in your life, cancer-free is the path that we usually take in medical. And when you see the passage talking about reconciliation, what you should think of is Jesus didn't come just to change the effects of sin. He came to conquer sin itself. And that is a fascinating idea as you go through the scriptures, because our first default usually is just to get rid of the effects. And Jesus said, I did come to get rid of the effects, but I came to get rid of sin itself. If you feel a battle in your soul and you have not settled the relationship with Jesus Christ or your eternal destination, you will not know this kind of peace, reconciliation peace. Because of the cross, the war in your heart can be settled. It's like a treaty that is settled through faith and repentance. And peace speaks of an attitude of rest and security. Jesus is for you. You are part of God's family. And not only is your destination secure, your relationship is settled. Reconciliation. The second one that Paul says in this passage is be thankful. And actually he says it, Three times, if you look in your passage, you'll see in verse 15, it says, and be thankful. 
in verse 16, it says, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And in verse 17, it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Anytime in a passage, something's mentioned multiple times, you should pay attention because Paul is trying to make an emphasis on it. The most direct of these three verses, I think, is in verse 15, because it says, and be thankful. Literally, I think you could read that as become thankful, because we keep striving for a deeper gratitude that we have yet attained. The word thankful you've heard Pastor Matt mention before here is the English word we get for Eucharist. It is one of the terms used for the Lord's Supper, and it's a time for giving thanks. R.E.O. White, he was a British preacher. He observed this regarding the fullness that comes from these verses. And he says, The surest sign that we are carrying a full bucket of water is wet feet. Does that ever happen to you where you fill a bucket up to the very brim and try and carry it somewhere? whether it's washing the car, whether it's cleaning the floor in your house, if you fill something up to the very top, it's very difficult to walk around with it out overfl- without it overflowing. And usually that is on yourself. When our lives are full, full of gratitude, they overflow. And here he is saying peace is cultivated with thanksgiving. When we have the bucket that is full of Christ, we overflow with the peace of God in thanksgiving. Full buckets cannot help but overflow. Third, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. This is the only place in the Bible that the scripture is referred to as the word of Christ. Usually, it's referred to the Word of God or the Word of the Lord. So why here does he use the Word of Christ? And if you read Paul's writings, you will understand that there are many people during that time that were depreciating the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, Paul is saying it undermines all of the Word of God. And so specifically here, he uses the Word of Christ. But the word I really like in this passage is I like the word dwell. That is an unusual way to talk about the Bible. Let it dwell. Literally, it means let it take up residence. Let it be at home there. Give it a room. Give it a space. It should be a constant and fixed place. It's not like a stranger that comes, or a friend that comes to stay one or two days at your home, and then they move on. Or maybe a close relative that stays for three or four weeks, and then they move on. Or maybe your kids that stay for 18 years, and then it's only a month till you change their room into a workout space. (laughs) I did not do that, just so you know, when Noah left. I turned it into an office. And I bought a really comfortable chair. (laughs) I should think about a workout machine. That's probably a good idea. 
But when you think about letting it take up residence, let it have a home there, what does that look like? If you put this idea together that Paul's emphasizing the work of Jesus Christ and it to dwell richly, if you want peace and you are convinced about the preeminence of Jesus Christ and the importance of his word, then you will allow God's word to take up residence in you and have a permanent place. Practically, what will that look like? Practically, it'll mean like this. You meditate on his word. You'll have conversations with it. You'll push back and ask questions of his word. You'll test it out. You'll connect the dots between two passages. You'll build a doctrine to live by. You'll apply it in all the areas of your life. That is what it means to have a dwelling place. In an Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 and, Paul, 3 and 4, Isaiah says it like this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is an eternal rock. So that's the what and the how. And the last, I will look at why. Why would you maintain the peace of Christ? There is so many that we could go into. I have in my notes here, let me give you just one. I'm going to adjust that and say, let me give you just two. Because during the middle part, when I read the golden rule that Jesus, it really stuck in my heart. The peace of Christ ruling in you. When you look at Jesus' life, the face, when we say the word of God or the scripture, the face of that is Jesus Christ. When you look at the way he lived, it was always his goal for peace. And as a matter of fact, do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, happy are the peacemakers. So before I get to the one in my notes, I would say this. Why would you want to maintain the peace of Christ? That is what you are called to do. That is how Jesus lived. And do you remember at the beginning when I said, here's some things that peace does not mean? Jesus did not shy away from sin. Jesus did not shy away from the truth. But when he saw injustice, he always did it with love and peace. But the one I would like to give you from this passage today, why maintain peace? What are the results of a person who lets the peace of Christ rule in their hearts? Why would you want to do that? The answer is, it's a different kind of peace. In John 14, Jesus was going to the cross, and he had some final words for his disciples. And in verse 27 of John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled or feel for, fearful. Not as the world gives. How does the world give peace? Because it does, right? The world gives peace with health insurance. 
The world gives peace with homeowner's insurance. Retirement is a form of peace. The police help with peace. Military is the way that the world offers peace. Medication, Wi-Fi cameras on your phone, and we could go on and on. What the world offers is what we call a safety net. And many of these I personally use, and I'm very thankful for. And one of them is on my birthday list, if you want to see it later. And that is a Nest door cam. Because my friend down the street last week, maybe it was two weeks ago, had his truck stolen right from the front. I don't know what a Nest cam is going to do for me, but I think it'll be fun to go back and see them driving away in it before I call <laughs> my insurance company. And they ask me to describe what I think I'm seeing, and I will have no idea because my friend told me, you have to get multiple cameras if you want to do that because your doorbell camera only sees about this amount, and you'll just see your truck driving away. That's what you will see. I think the first thought that I think of when I look at this is, why wouldn't we do it this way? Jesus says, this is not the peace that I give, and I'm not going to do it that way. And this is the way it's done, right? Safety nets. I mean, who wouldn't sign up for the Jesus healthcare bill if that was offered? But Jesus says, I'm not going to give the kind of peace that goes away when the stock market goes down. I'm not going to give the kind of peace that goes away when the police goes away. My peace doesn't end where your doorbell camera cannot see. In other words, it's not circumstantially based. And we know this because in John 16, he almost says the exact same thing. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The peace that Jesus gives is not circumstantially based. It's a peace in good and bad circumstances, in trouble, when your health care coverage runs out, in an unseen future, the peace that passes all human comprehension is how Paul describes it in Philippians. And what does that mean? That means that human beings can't grasp it. They can't make it happen. God is the one that makes it happen. Whenever we have some kind of big disaster in the world, you will often see a group of singers that will come and do some kind of concert to help. And one of the songs that's usually sung is from John Lennon, and it is Imagine. And if you that song is not coming to your mind right now, I could sing it, and it'll be with you all day. <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He says a lot of things in this song. No countries, nothing to kill or die for, all people living in peace, no hunger, no war. Let me ask you this question. If those came true, if we could snap our fingers and 
those ideals that he wrote came to be. How long would it last? An hour? A week? A month? You know it wouldn't last. And as a matter of fact, we've seen this happen in history before. You'll remember this story in 1914, what became to be called the Christmas Truce. Do you remember the Germans and the British were fighting over no man's land? And the British Expeditionary Force heard the German troops singing carols. They saw lanterns and fir trees along the trenches, and pretty soon messages started to be shouted over no man's land. The following day, British and German soldiers met in no man's land. They exchanged gifts, took photographs, and even played an impromptu game of football. They buried casualties, repaired trenches and dugouts, and took a break for Christmas Day. And then, the next day, back to the fight, fighting one another, shelling each other over no man's land. When Jesus says, I've come to, I have overcome the world, what he's saying is, I have overcome all the problems and fears that you might have and you will have. Yes, the world around you is messy and chaotic. Your circumstances today might be unresolved and you might be dealing with your own perfect storm. However, right now, you do have the ability to have peace, confidence through Jesus Christ. He's overcome sin, he's overcome death, he's overcome fear, and he's overcome despair. And the peace of Christ does not come through safety nets. It does not come from running away from your problems or ignoring them or just focusing on your personal comforts. Because Jesus Christ lives inside of you, his spirit of peace is also at work inside of you. And he's inviting you to rule in your hearts and begin with making this choice, declaring who's in charge. Is it going to be fear or is it going to be him? Paul's whole point in this passage is this is how peace is supposed to work. This is the way it is supposed to be. Not a peace that comes and goes, not a peace that relies on unreliable things. <clears throat> Jesus told the story of a man who built a house on sand. And I think it's a good example of what we're talking about here. When the rain came, the winds blew, and the storm came, the waves washed away the house of the man who built his house on the sand because it was on a poor foundation, not so for the house that was built on the rock. <clears throat> the wisdom here is we are only as strong as the foundation upon which it's built. When the rains come, when the storms of life come, if our confidence and our peace are anchored into the things that can be taken away or destroyed, our confidence and peace will go where they go. And these tough times of the last year, the last couple years, remind us 
Finances can be lost. Homes can be lost. Possessions can be stolen. Relationships can be broken. Leaders can fail. And even our bodies are susceptible to sickness, injury, and even death. I would make one caution. These are all tragic losses, ones that warrant a measure of sadness and grief. And Christians, above all, should be empathetic to those who are suffering and those who grieve. And we should grieve with them, helping however we can for them to get back on their feet. However, David wrote this in the Psalms, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. One of the things I learned from refereeing is you're always supposed to choose the right call. It becomes instinctual. You don't decide who's the home team and make your call based on that. You don't decide who's winning the game and then decide your call. Instinctually, you just apply the rules and you make the appropriate call. 25 years I've been trying to do that, and I've determined that I'm human. (laughs) And that doesn't always happen. But I have had people that will say, do you not see the scoreboard? (laughs) Or... I will have coaches that will insinuate that the home team is getting a lot of the good calls. What if you chose the umpire of peace in your life? Everything you thought, everything you did, filtered first through the arbiter of peace. Not based on the circumstances at the time, who's winning, who's losing, where the comfort might be found, what would change for you? Would that be an umpire worth refereeing your life? The peace of Christ, letting it rule in your hearts, can help you experience an unshaking peace, living the way God created you to live, at peace with him, at peace internally at peace with one another. A genuine, unconditional, lasting peace. Let's pray. God, we are chosen ones, holy, set apart, dearly loved. And this passage has so much for us to put on We didn't even talk today about kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and patience, forgiveness. But love calls us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, and it is a daily battle. That's why your word dwelling inside us, living an example like Jesus lived, is so powerful. So we give thanks for that, that it can dwell richly in us, that is unconditional, and it can be a lasting peace. Help us as we navigate the circumstances of each day to let this peace dwell in us, 
and rule our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?